0: If you take your Bibles, turn along with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We've been walking our way through this little letter of Paul to one of his lieutenants, Titus. Paul has left Titus on the Isle of Crete to set in order the things that remain, Titus 1.5. Paul's mandate is for Titus to straighten things out in the various churches around the Isle of Crete. There were good gospel works going on all over Crete, and yet things were not in their final shape this was titus's task this call to set in order the things that remain is similar in many ways to what jesus said to the spiritually dying church at sardis in revelation chapter 3 there in verse 2 of revelation 3 jesus the lord and head of the church says to that all-but-dead church in Sardis. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. The church at Sardis needed to be revitalized, and the churches at Crete needed to be straightened out, set right. As we saw the last two Sundays, the very first thing on Paul's list of things For Titus to set right was to ensure that only qualified men were leading the churches. Titus was to ensure that godly elders were in place in each of the churches. Leading these churches into the truth and not away from it. Which in some cases is exactly what was going on. As we'll see today. The reason Paul put leadership of the church as a priority task for Titus to complete, the reasons were twofold. First of all, Paul understood the importance of proper, godly leadership in the church. Without this leadership in place, the churches would be spiritually weak at best, and perhaps at worst, completely dead. And second, Paul understood the importance of leadership because The quality of the leadership that was present in many of the churches was proving itself to be spiritually disastrous. So Paul orders Titus to straighten things out in the churches, and the first thing he addresses, and the first thing he wants Titus to address is leadership. He does this by listing the qualifications of Christ-like leadership in Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And we looked at that the last two Sundays. In those verses, he lists 15 qualities of Christ-like leadership. 15 descriptions of what a mature believer in Jesus Christ looks like and therefore what you should be looking for in the leadership of your church. Now the reason he needs to spell that out so clearly, and literally write a letter about it, is seen in verses 10 through 16, which is our text this morning. There was a leadership crisis in many of the churches. The wrong kind of people were in the pulpits, and the wrong kind of people were running point in the churches. False teachers had somehow been allowed into the churches, and then they had been allowed somehow to remain in the churches, and then they had been allowed somehow not just to remain in the churches, but they were given primary positions of leadership, influence, and teaching within those churches. If this situation were to go unaddressed, it would mean certain disaster for the churches of Crete. So this issue of leadership in the churches must be addressed by Titus before anything else can be addressed properly. It is to be the priority issue for Titus. So not only does Paul describe what Christ-like leadership looks like and orders Titus to oversee the appointing of godly leaders in every church, but Paul in our text this morning also describes what false teachers look like and lays out the proper course for dealing with them. This is not just a problem that the church of the first century faced. In fact, the problem is even more... Insidious now, I think it could be argued. Because false teachers don't even have to be present in your church to have an influence. Books, television, radio, the internet, all have the ability to take the gospel-perverting message of false teachers and spread it around the globe in a nanosecond. When I was in Monrovia, Liberia, doing a pastor's conference, trying to strengthen churches there and come alongside and help and encourage, there in West Africa, my heart sank to see huge posters, massive billboards all over the city advertising an upcoming crusade, miracle crusade of so-called Pastor Creflo Dollar, who preaches the false gospel of health and wealth, also known as the prosperity gospel. Our country, sadly, year after year, month after month, message after message, is exporting this pernicious brand of false teaching all over the world and is destroying Christians, destroying churches, and wreaking havoc. You can find this false teaching and other false teachings like it in nearly every Christian bookstore, on so-called Christian television like TBN, and all over the internet. may come as a shock to you to learn that I'm not a regular listener of rap music. I'm an occasional listener, mind you. I do find some of it entertaining, if you can find some that's clean. And rap music as an art form is particularly good at conveying lengthy and complex messages, like... Sermons or theology. In fact, Christian rappers have called it lyrical theology. And there's some very good Christian rappers who have used this genre to teach truth. One of these Christian rappers is Shy Lin, who is, has been a pastor. And for a time, served alongside Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., great church. Shai the Christian rapper, years ago wrote a rap called False Teachers. And I've asked Pastor Rob to come and perform that for us. <laughs> Hey, he could do it. I think he could do it. <laughs> My daughter can beatbox to it. So. Let me quote a few lines from false teachers. You can look it up this afternoon and have a pleasant car ride home as you listen to it. Some of you will get an education. it would be the first rap song you've ever listened to. All right, this is his song, False Teachers. Let me begin while there's still ink left in my pen. I'm set to contend for truth. You can bet we'll offend. Deception within the church. Man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. And I ain't really trying to start beef, but some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism. The fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is, he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll tell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. And then he continues. And he says forthrightly Joel Osteen is a false teacher, Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Paula White is a false teacher. And By the way, that's Donald Trump's personal minister and evangelical faith advisor. She took part in his inauguration and spoke at it. So if you think these are kind of peripheral false teachers that, you know, wouldn't get appeal to the masses, think again. Shia Lin continues, he says, use your discernment, let the Bible lead you. Fred Price is a false teacher. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Juanita Bynum is a false teacher. Paul Crouch is a false teacher. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. False teachers are out there. They are prevalent. They have millions and millions of dollars. They get their message out far and wide. They tell you to send in their money, send in your money and you'll get a blessing in return. A blessing that can come in tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold, a hundredfold. Why not? We just wait always for the hundredfold, right? Don't don't send your money in early, right? Wait for the hundredfold. It's a sad story of the status of So called evangelicalism, that many of these same false teachers are considered central to the evangelical movement. Titus was dealing with similar challenges. Look with me as I read Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed." This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, protect us from falsehood, false teaching and false teachers, false religions. Lord, may we always have a, have a finger on the text, an eye on the text saying, where stands it written? What does the Bible say? What does God have to say about this? Grow us in discernment, Lord. Grow us in the truth. Lord, thank you for your truth. You sanctify us by your truth. Help us to keep the truth central to our lives, central to our church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we walk through this passage together this morning, I want to categorize Paul's warnings about these false teachers in these verses under three general headings we're going to see the description of the false teachers we're going to see the dangers of false teachers and we're going to see the directions for dealing with false teachers first of all the description of the false teachers verse 10 there are many rebellious men paul begins by informing titus of the scope of the problem The churches around Crete needed solid elders, qualified, godly elders to lead Christ's church, protect Christ's church, shepherd Christ's church. Why? Because there's a threat. There's a threat from without and there's a threat from within. Wolves have creeped in, scattering the flock. Paul mentions the scope of the problem here. He says there are many. They are many in number. That's the first description of the false teachers. There are many. There aren't just a few. They aren't just here and there. They aren't rare. They are many. The word Paul uses is polloi. You know the phrase hoi polloi. An ancient Greek phrase that was used to speak derogatorily of the masses. Well, here they are many. They are polloi. Paul picks up that derogatory usage and employs it of the many false teachers that were in leadership in the churches around Crete. In Paul's day, false teaching and false teachers were not something rarely seen. Sadly, there were many such false teachers, not just out and about in the community, but inside the churches. And in too many cases, these false teachers had been allowed to rise to positions of primary leadership and teaching in the churches. These false teachers were in the pulpits. Again, Paul wasn't naive to this. This wasn't new to him. This is something he'd been battling since day one as an apostle of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20, Paul calls for the Ephesian elders to come and gather together. And he talks to them and he says this in Acts 20. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then he gives them this warning. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Be on the alert, There's an enemy out there. He's plotting. He's scheming. He's trying to gain influence. He's trying to gain access. You elders, be on your guard. Keep watch. Protect. Shepherd the flock. The Apostle Peter had the same concern as the Apostle Paul. 2 Peter chapter 2 Verses 1 and 2, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Again, they're not out there somewhere. They're among you. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, denying Jesus Christ, denying his lordship, denying his sufficiency, denying his deity, denying the power of the gospel to redeem by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone they deny the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned it's going to give the gospel a black eye these false teachers and those who follow Sadly, the reality and danger of false teachers has not diminished but only increased. First came the printed page and then radio and then television and now blogs and podcasts and live streams and social media of every kind of false teaching and destructive heresy can reach the masses in just a matter of seconds. With the simple click of a mouse, false teaching can find a massive audience of eager and itching ears. Paul warned Timothy of the reality of itching ear syndrome. 2 Timothy 4, Paul exhorts Timothy, says there in 2 Timothy 4:2 Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, we've heard it all before. Give us something new. They'll not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves... Teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. In our day, where information flows so broadly and freely, we as a church must be ever vigilant to guard against false teaching from creeping in. This is primarily the job of the elders who are called to stand guard over the flock to guard the trust of sound doctrine. But it also includes the growing discernment of a congregation that is well taught in the Scriptures. And like the noble Bereans, they receive the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Where stands it written? Not only are there many false teachers, but Paul says next in verse 10 that they are also rebellious. So there are many in number. They are also rebellious. Verse 10, these false teachers do not submit themselves to authority outside themselves. Unlike the elders and their children who back in verse 6 are to demonstrate the ability to follow and honor authorities, these false teachers seem incapable of honoring or following any authority but their own. They are a law unto themselves. They flout authority structures. They don't want to put themselves under anyone else. They want to have free reign. They don't listen to others and they don't follow the rules. They are rebellious. And that gives them a distinct advantage In the church, where people are inclined to be nice. People are inclined to believe the best about others. People are inclined to be kind and gentle and patient with one another. And that's good and right. And the rebellious false teacher uses this kindness and gentleness to his advantage by thrusting himself or herself into places and positions of leadership and influence in the church while everyone stands around going, what just happened? It's been said that a lie can travel halfway around the globe while the truth is still putting its boots on. false teacher knows this and he works it to his advantage. His rebellious nature makes him uncaring about lines of authority, common manners, or giving honor to whom honor is due. And they will muscle their way to the microphone. They are rebellious. Another characteristic is they are empty talkers, verse 10. Empty talkers. False teachers do a lot of talking. That's their deal. But very little of it is truly edifying speech. Very little of it is edifying to the believer. Empty talker there, the word means a foolish babbler, an idle jabberer, a windbag, a blowhard. Instead of centering their teaching on the solid food of God's word, the false teacher seeks to direct the attention of his hearers elsewhere. In fact, just about anywhere else. Compelling personal stories where the speaker is most often the hero. Beware the teacher whose message in preaching only refers to God's word minimally or peripherally. Ripping verses out of context regularly. Isolating a, a single word or a short phrase from the larger context and riding off in all directions without letting the word of God constrain the meaning of the text and the thrust of the message. Paul's command to Timothy, who's tasked with a similar job as Titus, was that he preached the word in season and out, and when it was convenient and when it wasn't. When it was popular and when it wasn't. Unlike the teacher of God's word. Who's called to herald the message that God has already delivered. The false teacher comes up with his own message. And he's just an empty talker. Next we see that they are deceivers. Again verse 10. They're deceivers. False teachers are, by definition, deceivers. They're false teachers. They teach false things. Their teaching is deceptive, it's crafty. They're often self deceived. They've told the lie so many times they begin to believe it themselves. And they deceive others into believing their lies. And as perennial deceivers, they show themselves to be of their father, the devil. For as Jesus said, Satan was a deceiver from the beginning, a liar and the father of all lies. Paul calls out here at the end of verse 10, a group known as the circumcision. This was a subset of the greater number of false teachers, but this subset are the circumcision They are ethnic Jews who were spreading the false teaching and the false gospel that in order to be saved, both Gentile and Jewish believers in Jesus also needed to follow all the requirements of the old covenant, the law of Moses, by submitting to circumcision, by abstaining from certain foods, by observing special holy days and so forth. Paul viewed this as an especially dangerous form of false teaching because it purported to follow Scripture and because it added works and human merit to the pure, unadulterated gospel message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But the deceivers went on deceiving. Next, Paul says they're greedy. This comes in verse 11. So we're skipping down a little bit. The last part of verse 11. They are greedy. Paul says that the false teachers did what they did and they taught what they taught for the sake of sordid gain. Now we saw back in verse 7 in the description of elders that an elder is not to be fond of sordid gain. They're not to be lovers of money. Here, the sense is a bit broader than just money, although it includes the financial element. The sordid gain here that motivates the false teacher is any kind of base or shameful advantage. They want to advance themselves. As Shai Lin's Rap said, this is the religion of self, self-advancement. And that's what the false teacher is in it for. They're in it for themselves. Whether that's their advancement financially, whether that's their advancement in terms of popularity, in terms of influence, they do it for their advantage. They want to gain power. They want to gain prestige. The false teacher is motivated then not out of a desire to serve and honor the Lord, and to serve and love the congregation, but to serve and love self, that they might be honored above all. Another description of false teachers here is that they are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. In describing these false teachers, Paul quotes from a well-known philosopher, Epimenides. Epimenides was born on the Isle of Crete in the 6th century B.C., so about 600 years before Paul writes this letter. So Epimenides, the poet-philosopher, was a local boy who would have been well-known and his writings widely read and revered. Verse 12, Paul quotes Epimenides. as He says, one of themselves, a Cretan, A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul's just quoting one of their own guys here. And he's doing so not to spread some stereotype or cultural generalization about people from Crete, but to say that in the case of these false teachers, they are proving the stereotype true. These false teachers are liars. They are evil beasts. They are lazy gluttons. They are the worst of the Cretan people. Paul described the false teachers and the divisive people in the church at Rome very similarly. In Romans 16 verses 17 and 18 Paul says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves. They're slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. See, the problem wasn't just a Crete." It was everywhere, and so it is today. These false teachers are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Next, we see that they're also defiled and unbelieving. This comes in verse 15. Paul contrasts here true Christians with these false teachers. He says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. The Christian is pure. Can I get an amen to that? The Christian is pure. The Christian has been justified, declared righteous in God's sight, based on the righteous sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the righteous, sinless life of Jesus Christ. The Christian has been justified. The Christian is being sanctified, and one day the Christian will be glorified. The Christian is pure, and he's on a path of purity. The Christian is holy in their present standing before God. They are being made holy in their present life, and one day in glory they will be made perfectly holy. But the false teacher is not a true Christian. And therefore, not pure. Instead of being described as pure, they're described as being defiled and unbelieving. They have corrupted the purity of the gospel message. And in so doing, they have left themselves corrupted and defiled in their unbelief. Their sin problem hasn't been taken care of like it has for the Christian. Don't give them a microphone. Don't listen to what they have to say. They don't know the first thing about the gospel. Their mind is stained with sin and their God given conscience, that internal detector of right and wrong, that God-given conscience has been seared and stained by sin. They are not a reliable and trustworthy source of truth, nor are they a reliable and trustworthy path to purity. Finally, they are detestable, disobedient, and worthless in verse 16. Just in case you haven't gotten the gist of Paul's message. He is not a fan. These false teachers, with their empty talk and deception, profess to know God, but their lives make themselves out to be a liar. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Their lives are detestable. Their rebellious hearts bear the fruit of disobedience to God, and this makes them worthless for any good deed. Paul, in describing these false teachers, has provided Titus with a composite sketch of those that Titus and the other good elders were to be looking out for, protecting the flock from, and removing From any office or teaching position within the church. Paul has provided Titus here with his own version of a Wild West wanted poster Bad Bart. Be on the lookout. So that's a description of the false teacher. Let's look at the dangers of the false teachers. And there are two primary dangers that Paul lists here. The dangers of false teachers. First of all, they ruin churches and families. They ruin churches and families. Verse 11, Paul says they are upsetting whole families. The word upset there has as it, at its root The idea of turning over, to overturn something, to flip the tables with the result that communities of believers are being torn apart and destroyed. They're all about deconstruction, tearing things apart. Their peace and unity were being upended and ruined by the actions and teachings of these troublemakers. The word families here is actually households. They were upsetting whole households. A word that could be used to describe families, yes, but it could also be used to describe house churches. As many of these early churches met in private homes no doubt both families and churches were being upended and thrown into confusion and disunity by these meddling marauders of mischief false teaching causes disunity in the body and it separates believers from one another it breeds envy a one-upism within the body You have to have a better story than the other guy who had some miracle happen in their life. You've got to manifest the blessing of God on your life. The result is ruinous to churches and to families. It's a brotherly unity. That's the first danger. The second danger is that they teach things they should not teach. I mean, that's... Literally their job description. They teach things they should not teach. See that in verse 11. Middle of the verse. Paul says that these agitators are teaching things they ought not teach. They are teaching things contrary to scripture. Things that dilute and distort the pure gospel. Things that do not agree with sound doctrine. In their case, they were teaching a form of legalism that added works and human merit to faith so that salvation could be obtained by eating some foods and abstaining from others, by being circumcised, by submitting yourself to the law of Moses, by observing certain special holy days. And verse 14 shows that they were preoccupied with Jewish myths and teaching man-made religion. Man-made commandments. They're just making it up. Fanciful stories, myths. The Stuff isn't anchored in the truth. The list of false teachings in our own day is very long indeed. Every core doctrine of Scripture has been twisted by false teachers, so that for every genuine truth of Scripture, there is a corresponding false teaching that twists the Scriptures and spoils the purity of the genuine Scriptural teaching. These things should not be taught, but they are taught every day all over the world by countless false teachers false religions, false prophets, and false converts. Whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian Science or Scientology or Unitarian Universalists or Oneness Pentecostals or Seventh-day Adventists or Mormons, all these belief systems deny the full deity of Jesus Christ, deny the clear teaching of Scripture, deny the truth of the gospel message, as it's been delivered to us in the Scriptures. And they damn themselves and their followers to eternal destruction. Other false teachings and false teachers and false religions can be found quite easily. In Roman Catholicism, 1.3 billion followers. Many, many other churches that claim to preach Jesus Christ but twist the truth. They're false teachers. Purveying false teaching and making false converts. What are we to do with these false teachers and the threat that they pose? That brings us to the third and final D word. The directions for dealing with false teachers. Paul says in verse 11, first of all, the first step you take with a false teacher is you silence them. They must be silenced. That's the first step. They must be de-platformed. They must not be given an audience. They must not be allowed to teach or to lead or to influence. Turn their mic off. Shut down their class. Get rid of their books. Delete their blog posts erase their online messages. The first step in dealing with false teachers must be to stop their false teaching and to silence their empty talking. As a country, we rightly value the blessed freedom of free speech. But there is no such thing as free speech in the church. That's radical talk, huh? Anybody can't just get up and say anything they want to say at any time. All things are to be done decently and in order and under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under the leadership of qualified godly leaders called elders who are tasked with guarding the truth, protecting the flock. The church isn't required to give anyone a platform from which to say whatever they wish to say. In fact, there are to be careful limitations set on who teaches and on what they teach. James 3 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Not many teachers. So the first step in dealing with false teachers is to silence them. Pull the plug. Maybe some of you need to do that in your life. Maybe you're listening to messages or reading books that every now and then you have a check in your spirit or it just seems to sound a little bit funny or whatever, but you just keep plowing through it. Be careful what you take in, what you expose yourself to, what you sit under. You have a question about it, bring it to an elder. That's what we're here for. We're not going to judge you or castigate you or make fun of you for reading this or listening to that. We want to help and come alongside and say, yeah, that's helpful. There's a couple of things that, you know, I might disagree with. Or, or we say, you know what, that, there's, better, there's better information. There, there's better sources. That's what we're here for. We want to help you. So you silence the false teachers. And then the next thing is they must be corrected. Having silenced them, they must now be corrected. You can't listen and be corrected if you're talking. So you gotta shh. shh. This false teachers got to be silenced first. Having silenced them, Paul says Titus was then to reprove them severely. Reprove. It's a corrective term. Correct them. It's what. Timothy was to do with the word of God. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Titus 2.15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. To reprove is to correct. It's to bring a person to the point of recognizing their wrongdoing so that they come to see the error of their ways and they repent of it. So the goal of this reproving, this corrective, is not vindictive it is not punitive it is redemptive and restorative the goal is the same as the one expressed in jude 23 save others snatching them out of the fire the goal of this severe reproof is redemptive and restorative you want to point them to the gospel that the lord might have mercy on their soul and correct their ways This correction was to be administered severely, rigorously. The idea here is that you deal with the false teaching and these false teachers firmly, seriously, decisively, and persistently laying out the truth, pleading for their repentance and praying for their salvation. And finally, the last thing you do with a false teacher, you call them back to purity of doctrine and purity of life. Verses 13 and 14. The desired result of this correction is that they would become sound in the faith that they would believe the truth of the gospel and live out the implications of the gospel via a changed life say but what if they don't listen what if they won't be silenced what if they refuse to be taught and reproved and corrected what if they refuse to confess sound doctrine and live a life that adorns the true gospel well, Paul has an answer for that as well. Later in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Reject them, put them out, remove them from the body. They're a cancer that has refused treatment, and therefore it must be excised from the body before more destruction is done. For the health of the local church, it is critical that the right people be leading the church and teaching the church. False teachers often have the loudest voices, the most charismatic personalities, and they persuade many with their populist brand of theology that scratches itching ears. The church must be led by a plurality of godly men who make it their aim to defend the gospel, proclaim the truth, And protect the sheep from the wolves that are always present and always seeking to gain a foothold. May the Lord help us as a church to choose godly leaders who will lay down their lives to protect the sheep. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there is an assault on your truth. It's coming from all corners. It would seem. Denying even the most basic realities about humanity and male and female. Lord, all these things are false teachings. They want to creep into the church and gain a foothold among us. And if allowed to do so, they will divide us and destroy us as a body. Lord, help us to guard the trust, to embrace sound doctrine, to be a people who submit ourselves to the authority of your word as Lord and head of the church. Lord, thank you for the preservation of the gospel message through generation to generation we've been given that same trust. Help us to pass it on purely, truly, passionately. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and your promise to build your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.